Well, let's open in a word of prayer. If you didn't know this, this is Route 66, and we're going through the book of First Thess. If you're in the wrong room, I guess it's time to leave. <laughs> anyway, let me just pray. Father God, thank you again for this time this evening. Oh, Lord, what a what an exciting thing to look at this church uh, that you revealed to us from Paul through First Thessalonians and. Father, I hope that uh, as we do this study, we will have the same kind of joy he seemed to have all the way through uh, this letter toward the Thessalonians. And Father, just their love for you, their uh, desire and boldness in proclaiming the gospel with those they came in contact with. Uh, Lord, we pray that we might become a church that... Uh, has a reputation of turning to you, walking with you, and Father, um, being used by you so that people would see the kind of faith that we have and that uh, our surrounding communities and stuff, Father, would be affected by the ministry of this church for your glory. And we just pray in Christ's name, amen. amen. Well, you can take your pack of paper. One thing you're going to want to do, because I'm going to go to a, a little history of the second missionary journey, and I've kind of got it outlined in red what took place and uh, everything just uh, before we get to, uh, we're going to go all the way to Corinth, because that's where Paul wrote this letter to the Thessalonians. But uh, just a little historical background and how this mission trip got put together. If you remember, the first missionary trip really ended in Lystra with Paul stoning. And, and uh, after they left him for dead, he got up and uh, they went and visited Derby and Iconium and Lystra again, strengthening the saints. And then it says uh, they went back through Perga and Attila and then caught a ship in Attila and, and took it back to Antioch. Uh, and I'm probably mispronouncing a lot of these names because they're not around here in Colorado. So anyway, uh, so if you grab your map and what happened after that, you remember that Paul and Barnabas ended up going back to uh, Antioch and a bunch of Jews uh, came in and started uh, telling the the Gentile believers that they needed to be circumcised and um, and uh, submit to the law of Moses. So it says that Paul and Barnabas contended with these Jews <laughs> uh, quite <coughs> quite vehemently, and then finally they ended up taking a group. Paul, Barnabas, and other brothers from Antioch went to Jerusalem to meet with the church in Jerusalem. And uh, these Jews stood up again and talked about the need for people being circumcised, being under the law of Moses. And then um, uh, Peter stood up and said, hey, you know, I took the gospel message to the Dunchiles. I was given the mouth. And he says, God accepted them. They received the same spirit. Why should we put them under the law that we could not keep? And uh, then Paul and Barnabas stood up and talked about how uh, God had been working among the Gentiles with them. So the church ended up sending Silas 
and Judas back with Paul and Barnabas to Antioch to relay uh, what the church in Jerusalem had said that uh, all they really wanted them to do is um, abstain from things sacrificed to idols and uh, sexual uh, purity. And so uh, when they got back, uh, Silas and Justice stayed a while in Antioch with Paul. And then um, as we go through chapter 15, you see that Paul, I think it's verse 36, decided that, hey, let's go back to all those churches that we've already been to and encourage them. And let's start the second missionary journey. And you know that Barnabas wanted to take John Mark. And Paul says, uh, no, he left us and uh, walked off the mission trip. So uh, he was not uh, willing to do that. Became a little contentious between Paul and Barnabas. So Barnabas took John Mark and he and John Mark uh, went to Cyprus and uh, Paul called uh, Silas to go with him. And then they started uh, the second missionary journey. And as they uh, were going through Tarsus and got to Lystra, then they ran across Timothy. It's speculated Timothy probably became a convert, maybe in Paul's first missionary journey. Uh, his mother uh, was a Jew, but his father was a Gentile. But Paul was impressed with uh, Timothy's life, and also Timothy had a great reputation among the, the church people there. So uh, as Paul and uh, Silas and Timothy began moving, they were looking at taking the and going to other churches in Asia, but the Holy Spirit stopped them, as you remember. And Paul was a little confused about where they would go. So he ended up going to Troas, and there we know that he got the Macedonian call. And this is where, I guess it's really good news for the Western world. <laughs> because up until this time, everything was headed to Asia. But once uh, Paul and them uh, got that call, also in Troas, it's, uh, it looks like Luke joined their team again as well and went with them into Philippi. And if you remember Mark's teaching, uh, Philippi was small. It didn't have enough Jews there to have a synagogue, but uh, Paul seemed to still get in trouble by casting out a demon and a slave woman. And so he and Paul and Silas were beaten and then thrown in prison. Remember the earthquake and uh, the Philippian jailer coming to Christ. But Paul and uh, Barnabas was asked to leave Philippi because once the Philippian authorities found out, the magistrate found out that they'd beaten Roman citizens, they wanted them out of there, <laughs> uh, a little worried about what might happen to them. So Paul, and Timoth or Paul Timothy, and Silas then head to Thessalonica. Uh, and so we're where we want to be, so I would like us to read uh, Acts 17. And uh, and if I could get somebody to read one through ten. I'll read it. Okay. <clears throat> now, when they had passed through uh, Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews, and Paul went in, as was his custom. 
And on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead. And saying, This Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous. And taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the whole world of the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has received them, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people in the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea, and when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. I'm going to just pick it up real quick, because it says, Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily, to see if these things were so. Many of them therefore believed, uh, with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea, also they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. Then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea. But Silas and Timothy remained there. Those who, were conduct, who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens. And after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. Uh, I don't know how many times I've read that passage. <laughs> I always thought the Bereans were more noble than the believers in Thessalonica. That's, I just assume believing that. I'm going, the Jews in Berea were more noble than the Jews in Thessalonica. Because I kept saying, that just doesn't make sense. Thessalonians was such a great church. Why and then I said, oh, wow. It's amazing how you just read through things and uh, your mind interprets something without really looking at it. So anyway, uh, so we see that uh, Paul and Silas and Timothy didn't spend much time in Thessalonia. Uh, but uh, as we do a little more study, we may find out that uh, as Acts gives this account of three Sabbaths, and it sounds like Paul immediately left, uh, a lot of commentators, as you read, because in Philippians, why Paul was in Thessalonica, they sent him a couple gifts to help him. He talks about laboring among them so that he was not a burden on them. So it's a real good possibility from a lot of the commentators that I read that Paul might have been there uh, several months. And I, I think one of the things that gives that some credence is in uh, when Paul gets to Corinth, uh, Corinth um, he did the same thing. He talked in the synagogue for several weeks and then persecution started coming. And he kind of washed his hands. He said, I'm done talking to you. I'm going to the Gentiles now. And he stayed in Corinth a year and a half 
and continue to do ministry. So anyway, uh, that's uh, the background pretty much of where we're at. We, uh, Paul's in uh, Corinth now, and, and what we're seeing happening here is Paul has a great concern for this church at Thessalonica. And as soon as uh, Timothy and Silas join him, you, you read in 1 Thessalonians 3 that Paul said they were greatly concerned, so they sent Timothy back uh, to Thessalonica to see how they were doing, because they, when Timothy joined Paul in um, Athens, he shared some concerns of things that were going on, so Paul sent him back, and then uh, Timothy arrived in Corinth, and as soon as Paul seemed to get the reply from Timothy of what was going on, he <laughs> sat down and he penned this letter to, to the Thessalonians. And I, I, like I said, I think as we go through this, uh, it is just so encouraging. And I think it's something that we as a church really need to look at carefully. Uh, what is it, uh, what are the things that we can glean from this church that caused Paul to have such great joy? Uh, before we do that, I want to just go across uh, some key words uh, this came from MacArthur that, um, and I don't even have it down there on your outline, so, but you probably got room on your pages to do that. Um, but the first word, of course, is sanctification, and we know that that, um, that means we're to be set apart or set aside that which is holy. And uh, again, this is a very strong uh, word used here uh, that Paul encourages the Thessalonians that they would really be set apart, that their life uh, would bring glory to God. The other um, key thing that he talked about was uh, spirit, soul, and body. And I just thought this was pretty interesting. He says, First Thessalonians 5.23 is the only place in the New Testament where being a person is delineated into three portions. Yet in this passage, all three make up a whole person. The spirit enables a person to contact and be regenerated by the divine spirit, John 3, 6 and Romans 8, 16. The psyche, which is translated so, speaks of a person's personality or essence. And finally, the New Testament writers identify the body as a physical entity separate from one soul or spirit as this verse indicate God's work God works from the inside out sanctifying our entire being for eternal life and I just thought that uh, Travis and I talked a little this morning about that and so that was neat and then the other key word that's repeated several times in this uh, book is the word coming which is Greek Perusa, and it's mentioned in 219, 3.13, 4.15, and 5.23. Matter of fact, every chapter in Thessalonians ends dealing with the coming of Christ. Um, it is used in the New Testament to describe the visitation of important people, such as royalty. Thus, the word points to unique and distinct coming. This term is used in the New Testament 
to designate the second coming of Christ. This glorious coming will reveal Christ as king over all. Um, now, uh, let's see. Again, we, we, uh, we were introduced to Paul, Silas, and Timothy, uh, key people uh, on this mission team. And when he, Paul wrote, he always included them as part of the missionary team. And he uh, also used uh, them as th they were all in agreement with what was being written and what was being taught. And uh, that comes across very clearly. Again, the author... Uh, is Paul. He says it twice in the book, and there's no reason to doubt it, even though some people always do. Uh, the date of the writing is around 51 AD. Uh, we know that because as, we're, as we read uh, Paul in Corinth, it uh, says that uh, when he came before Galileo, uh, he was uh, the proconsul, and uh, the records show that uh, Galileo was proconsul in 51 AD. So this is the reason we think the writing was 51 AD, because uh, he talks about that. Uh, and then Paul probably wasn't in Corinth a whole lot longer after that. Let's see. The purposes for writing 1 Thessalonians... Uh, Paul seems to have at least four purposes for writing this epistle. Uh, to express thanks to God for the healthy spiritual condition of the church. Second, to defend himself and those with him against false accusations. And third, to give specific ways in which already strong Christian behavior could be improved as they continue to seek God's approved holiness. And then fourth, to bring clarity and comfort to believers concerning those who have died in Christ and the coming of the Lord. Uh, just as we look at uh, the first part there, to express thanks to God for a healthy spiritual condition of the church, I want us to just look at about five passages. Uh, and I think it would be very evident that this must have been the most fun letter that Paul ever wrote to a church. Uh, can I get somebody to read First Thess 1, 2? Okay, Mark. <clears throat> then uh, I want somebody to look up First Thess 2, 13 and 14. You got it, Joe? Gary, I saw your hand up. So First uh, Thess 2, 13 and 14. I saw somebody, Daniel. First Thess 2, 19 and 20. Uh, I need somebody for First Thess 4, 9 and 10. Russ, and then last, first that's 5.11. You got it, Allie? <laughs> okay. Okay, first that's one, two. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers. Okay. First that's two, 13 and 14. Okay. And 13 and 14, that's what I had. Oh, I'm... Oh. Did you skip one? And I must have I put that down twice. Ah, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Joe. <laughs> Doesn't matter. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, 
which is at work in you believers. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews. In 1 Thess 2, 19 and 20. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. And in 1 Thess 4, 9 and 10. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, do, to do this more and more. And in 1 Thess 5, 11. Therefore comfort each other and edify one another just as you also are doing. It seems very clear that even though he encourages them, let's not stop. <laughs> There's a deeper level we can go. Um, I thought this was interesting. The Thessalonian church is the only church not censored for anything. And I just thought, wow, uh, that has to be a great encouragement to them. Um, then... Uh, You know, as we look at the passage in um, second, second, or yeah, Second Thessalonians, uh, not Second Thessalonians, chapter two, one through three, and and uh, just Paul's whole defense of himself against false accusations. Uh, what I'd like to do is just um, spend a little time looking at some character qualities of Paul and what he did and how he equipped people. And again, um, just as we look at his profile and his heart for the people, as you go through this um, book, you're amazed that there's at least 14 things that uh, is pointed out that was part of Paul's uh, ministry to the, these people. And the first thing is praying. We got that in First Thess 1, 2, and 3. And then you see it also in chapter 3, uh, 9 through 13. You also see it in uh, chapter 5. Um, let's see. I had it here. Oh, 5, 23, and 24. And so again, one of the key qualities uh, for leadership is prayer, you know, that we are to be people of prayer. The next thing we see is uh, evangelism. We see that in 1 Thessalonians 1, 4, 5, 9, and 10. Again, uh, just their passion for sharing the gospel as well. Next thing we see that Paul did for them was equip them. Again, that was First Thess 1, 6 through 8. 
And then he, and the next thing you really see about Paul is his love for them. And, and that's uh, in First Thess 2, 7 and 8. And then uh, laboring over them, First Thess 2, 9. Yeah. Does this this list does it go underneath the signs of genuine ministry? Uh, yeah, I uh, okay. got some others there too, but uh, that's, a good place. that's a good place to put them. Sorry. Well, I'm glad you told me. Because it sounds like. It. You know what? See, it's supposed to be in my notebook, and I got my pages out, and these notes are on one side. Oh. <laughs> and it's supposed to be across from it, so that's where we're supposed to go. <laughs> okay. So prayer, evangelism, equipping, love, and labor. Love, yeah, loving, labor, okay. modeling. First Thess two ten. Leading. First Thess two eleven and twelve. Feeding. First Thess two thirteen. Suffering, First Thess 2, 14 through 20. wonder why that's the longest passage. <laughs> Watching, First Thess 3, 1 through 8. Warning, First Thess 4, 1 through 8. Teaching, First Thess 4, 9 through 5.11, and then exhorting, 1 Thess 5.12-24. And uh, again, I think one of the encouraging things to me is that I believe we're in the process as a church of seeing that happening more and more in our ministry, and I think we're being challenged by it. Uh, by the leadership of, of the church here. So um, it's just been very encouraging. And again, things that we should be uh, praying that we see in our lives, because this is not just for the, the leadership. This is for every one of us to be exhibiting this, because we're all to be leading somebody and uh, discipling somebody. Let's see. Uh, you got a little lost in my own notes here. Um, themes, uh, you can find that. It's on page two. And again, I I was amazed as, as I started going through this just on... Uh, different doctrines, the doctrine of inspiration and authority in, of Scripture. Uh, you find that in Second uh, chapter Thessalonians, verse 8, 13, and then the, the doctrine of one true God. You see that, 1, 9. All these are listed there for you, existing in three persons. So you have the Trinity as well uh, defined here. The doctrine of the de Christ's deity. And some of the stuff I read that um, proves that the church wasn't struggling 
with this as much as they thought, because if this is one of the first book, Paul's already dealing with it here, that it wasn't an issue, that they they were already dealing with the, the deity of Christ, and uh, it wasn't something that came along later. And then the doctrine of salvation based on Christ's death, and the believer's union identification with Christ, And then the doctrine of sanctification as it related to purity, love, diligence, and Christian disciplines. And then, again, just the eschatology or the end times, Christ coming, uh, again, is mentioned at the end of every chapter. Um, like we said, First Thessalonians is uh, one of the earliest epistles written by Paul. I think Joel said, when you taught in Galatians, didn't you, Joel? Who taught in Galatians? Yeah. Was it Adam? I think he said it was probably the first writing. Some people contend they could have been first this, but either way, it's still one of the earliest epistles written. It contains this, uh, I thought it was interesting, contains no Old Testament quotes. Can you, you have any idea why that might be? Yeah, church was pretty much Gentiles or Greek. Um, let's see. There's five chapters. There's 89 verses. Uh, you can't go through this letter without seeing that it, uh, the, the joy and the personal affection that Paul has for these people. Uh, it really grieved him that... He wasn't able to return to Thessalonia and uh, be among them until, was it his third missionary journey? I think Corinthians talks about he might have stopped there when he returned to Macedonia. Uh, and again, like we said, the church in Thessalonia was the only church that was never censored for anything. Mm. You look at the outline there, I don't think you'll probably have any questions over that. Maybe you do. Again, um, I would like to look at then the signs of a Christian life. And, uh, and I tell you, I, I think I only want to go through 1 Thessalonians 5. I, I went through this and what I call qualities or admonishments uh, to help us in our sanctification. I came over 50 of them. <laughs> and, but in chapter 5 alone, there's like 20-some. And so what I'd like to do is us identify them, and maybe spend a little time talking about them and... Uh, begin asking ourselves, is this something I see in my own life? So if you'll turn to chapter 5, basically going to look from uh, verses 11 to 27. And what I would like to do is, uh, I would like to read the verse, and then you point out to me, what you see there that we are to do for one another 
or were uh, challenged to do. So verse 11 says, therefore, encourage one another and build up one another just as you are doing. So what's a couple admonitions that were challenged with there? What's well, is encourage and build up? And that's being it together in love. So this is love one another. This is the one another's. You see the word one that's right there. Yeah, right. And I love it because Paul's telling them, you know, love one another as, you, as you're already doing. Just do it more, you know, and uh, that's encouraging. Okay. And build up, that's, the focus is clearly on Christ because you can't build one another up in the, in the relative uh, conditions. It's only towards Christ. That's how you build up. Good point. I see. And we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. So what are some things there that we as a church or believers should be about? Submit to leadership. Okay. Show appreciation for them. Okay. And respect. Okay. Anything else? Okay. <coughs> 13. And to, esteem, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. On its face, that looks like two commands. And I don't know the Greek that well, but to esteem highly those who are working or are laboring over you and in teaching you the truth of God's word, that's done by being peaceful between the brethren to show them that you actually are obeying their commands, and that's how you esteem them, is by, in the second part of it, says, be at peace among yourselves. So, if you're always bickering and quarreling, you must not be listening to the teachings that the pastor is giving you. What, what's the difference between esteem and respect? Isn't it, aren't they similar? Spelling. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. Uh, they seem, oh, no, they seem similar. Is it a different, I wonder if it's a different word. Even. I'm not sure they are. I don't have my tablet. I could check if I have my tablet. Yes, yeah, so, sorry. I think that you're you by like what Gary's saying. It's really more um, uh, the, the the church leaders seeing what they are diligently teaching worked out in our application of our lives, hmm. um, not just brother to brother, but just in, in every poor portion of our lives that, that, that we're living out. Yeah, and you kind of get that from um, second chapter of Thessalonians where Paul says, you know, when the word came to you, uh, you believed it for what it really was, the word of God. Uh, they didn't question it. They uh, acted upon it. Uh, okay. <clears throat> 14. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idol, Encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. There's a picture of different people with different places where they're at with their walk and, and just different constitutions and different abilities to handle life. But God placed them all in the church and we have them all in the church and we have to be tender to all of them. And to wherever they are placed, wherever they are at, we, we have to deal with them at that place and move them along. In sanctification, this, this is all about sanctification here. A lot of it is. Yeah, and again, doesn't this seem a little bit like uh, 
what we're admonished, like even in Ephesians, in the church, in uh, seeing everybody arrive and move toward maturity in Christ. And again, even the, I think the, the hard thing, and sometimes for some of us is, uh, at least for me, is being patient with them all. Sometimes when people don't move at the pace you would like, or they're not growing the way you would like to see them grow, um, it just seems like uh, that is just a real challenge uh, and a temptation to be judging their Christian maturity at times. Oh, but we don't know, as we're learning in counseling, we don't always know what's going on in people's lives. And so uh, we don't know what they're going through. And again, uh, taking more time to uh, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. Uh, all things that I think are challenges, at least to me. And uh, one of the things that I, I just am asking God to work out in my life. Okay. If, if I could just add to that, too, that that verse, aside from those three commands, um, well, four if you could be patient with all, mm -hmm. is a call to discern people, to be discerning about what kind of person you're dealing with. And take, you use the word patient. We have to be patient to take the time to get to know them, to learn what's driving them, what, you know, where their weaknesses are, and to help them. So it calls for discernment, calls for love, calls for sacrifice, calls for patience. And and the one verse that really always got me in First Thess is where Paul says, when we came to you, it was not just to give you the word, but our very lives. And uh, that's not always been comfortable for me. <laughs> and I don't know about the rest of you, but that's, uh, uh, that's a struggle. Uh, I, love, I love the fact, too, that in that verse, it's not, you know, we admonish you, uh, or uh, what does it say? We urge you. <clears throat> we urge you pastors, or we urge you elders, or leaders in the church. It's we urge you brethren. Right. Everyone. That's why I said this is addressed to the church. And it's nice that you can say this to everybody in the church. Your expectation is that everybody would be like this. That does speak to their maturity, I believe. Yeah, wouldn't it be nice to have this list printed so when somebody comes and starts complaining to you about what's wrong with you and everything, that you can say, how are you doing in these? <laughs> That's a very patient way to handle it. Yeah, a very patient way to handle it. What's that? It's actually already been printed. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I mean, leave out a lot of words and just get to the bullet points. <laughs> so just cut everything out of scripture. You don't want your... <laughs> Thomas Jefferson version, yes. I think John warned about <laughs> oh, I think there is a warning in Revelation about not adding or detracting. Something about cursing. I wonder if Thomas Jefferson cut that verse out. He's experienced. Okay. Verse 15. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. So I'm just kind of curious. To one another means the church, to everyone is maybe the people outside the church. 
Exactly. That's that sounds right to me. To the church and everybody else like that. <laughs> it doesn't matter. It's all the end is end for all people. So. Yeah. I got, I, there is no out. I'm sorry. You're not a brother in Christ. I can't be nice to you. <laughs> and no one repays anyone evil for evil. Okay. 16. Rejoice always. See, there's not a whole lot you can leave out of that. See, that's a bullet point. <laughs> we generally try to leave out the always part. Yeah. What's that? We, we encourage each other to rejoice, but we often forget the always. <laughs> we, we rejoice when people are rejoicing or when it's something that seems to warrant rejoicing, but we forget the always. And don't you like it when other people remind you? That scripture says we're to rejoice always. You know, rejoice when we get a flat tire, have to go to the dentist. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> well, then, then this next one, pray without ceasing. And one of the things I want to look at, too, is uh, as we're talking about this, I just want to look at some of Paul's prayers and what he prayed for the Thessalonians. And in light of that, what are we praying for one another? Uh, that's, just, that's, a, that's a convicting study right there. Yeah, but I'm glad he only has got about six verses in his prayers <laughs> in the three. So. <laughs> anyway, uh, then give thanks in all circumstances. And I would just say this. I think uh, Barb and I did a study on Thanksgiving in a thing we were doing, and I think it was the most beneficial study I've ever done. Because uh, in Deuteronomy, one of the verses, and I'm trying to remember where it's at, and I just said, because you failed to have gratitude in your heart and not serve me with uh, gladness, all these curses <laughs> will be upon you. And I thought, I think God's pretty serious about us having gratitude and thankfulness. Mm. And, uh, and I also found out in, uh, that when I start giving thanks for situations that are very uncomfortable, in some ways it seems to disarm the enemy. Because <laughs> the very thing you want to use to get me upset or angry if, if I start giving God thanks for it because I, I'm desiring to learn what he wants me to learn from the situation, the enemy has to come up with a different plan. <laughs> and so uh, for me, uh, thankfulness uh, and trying to practice that has been uh, key to a lot of uh, peace in my life. Travis. Yeah, and just uh, along those lines about doing a study, uh, John MacArthur did a study <clears throat> once on, on all those phrases where it says, this is the will of God in Christ for you. Um, I think he was getting a lot of questions from uh, students, young people who are always asking, hey, what's the will of God for my life? What's the will of God for my, you know, for marriage or college or profession or whatever? And so he did a, a study and it produced a little book called Found God's Will. 
which, you know, it's God's will is not lost. Right. It's, found, it's right here. <laughs> and if you look in Scripture and see, like there's another one back in chapter 4. Uh, this is the will of God, your sanctification. Mm-hmm. Um, verse 3, chapter 4, verse 3. This is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. So he said, basically, um, go through Scripture, find where it says this is the will of God, and do what's actually revealed. So like this right here, um, where does it say? Mm. Pray without, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ for you. So look up those, look up those things, pursue those things, try to grow in those things, and then God's will, uh, you know, do what you want effectively is what he said. Because if you're this kind of person, mm. God's will that has not been revealed to you, mm-hmm. if, you're, if you're doing what is revealed, he'll lead you in the things that have not yet been revealed. I, I, think, that's a, I think that's a good mm-hmm. word to, I know there are some younger people in here. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good word for us all to, uh, to do what we see is revealed, not worry so much about what isn't revealed, like tomorrow, yeah. <laughs> uh, but just do what's revealed for today, and God will lead you according to uh, his revealed rule. And Travis, I may have some questions on uh, <clears throat> some some of the things I read on do not quench the spirit. Mm-hmm. There was some speculation. Um, maybe there was some uh, issues or something in the church about uh, different workings of the spirit or something. Have you ever? Yeah, yeah. In the uh, <clears throat> so in the early church in the first century, the apostolic sign gifts that accompanied the apostolic ministry in that apostolic age, um, and especially you know, it actually talks speaks here about not despising prophecies. Mm-hmm. You know, prior to um, the canon, uh, New Testament canon being completed and disseminated. Uh, local churches like the Thessalonian church, like the Corinthian church, and others had um, God gifted them by the Spirit with local church prophets uh, through whom revelation would come. Uh, and, and teachers, pastors, and teachers would take that revealed word, a New Testament truth, and preach, preach it, uh, teach it, explain it, work it into the congregation. <clears throat> so Sometimes, like the Thessalonians would have the letter from Paul, which is revealed scripture, uh, but the, then there would be maybe other ad hoc type of prophecies dealing with things in their church uh, to lead them in a New Testament direction. Um, obviously, with the completion of the canon, that no longer was necessary, and it was actually beneficial to have a completed canon, completed New Testament revelation. So it, this is a warning not to despise or quench the spirit, despise those prophecies, like be so on guard that you don't listen to anything coming out of a mm-hmm. uh, spirit-inspired uh, prophet. Um, but at the same time, then there's the, the addition, but test everything mm-hmm. and hold fast to what is good, because there would be traveling, you know, people coming in the name of Christ right. who would speak in the church who were not actually speaking from, you know, it says in, in 1 Corinthians right. 12, they were saying, Jesus is accursed. So saying things that they were claiming that was coming from the spirit, it really wasn't. So it's just a, it's just a very dynamic time in the first century that we don't live in that same kind of a time. But 
that's what was going on. Yeah, because I think scripture, as we were reading, Justice and Silas were both prophets. And it also says that they encouraged the, the church there in Antioch and strengthened them. So anyway, okay. And then we got, but test everything, hold fast to what is good. So again, uh, abstain from every form of evil. And I, so I, that would beg the question, if I'm to abstain from every form of evil, I probably ought to be reading something that would inform me what is evil and not rely on the, my own heart. As Jeremiah says, the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And beyond all cure, I believe it says too. Um, let's see. So um, when MacArthur looks at uh, these uh, things, he, I think we hit everyone that he talked about. Oh, verse 27, uh, the idea that another command we have is to read the epistle <laughs> to everyone as well, uh, to make sure that we're uh, sharing the word of God. So I thought that was... Uh, Good as well. We're also to pray for one another. Again, that's verse 25 as well. Um, I'm, uh, I'm really curious as we look at the Thessalonian church and as, as you read about it, we, we read about their dynamic testimony that uh, how they turn from idols to the living God. And I'm... I'm just wondering, why do you think there was such a passion uh, for them to share the gospel and have that kind of witness? Do you understand what I'm saying? I mean, if... if so if it was a church that was doing well, and if it was a church that Paul was encouraging to just to keep on keeping on and to stay steadfast, um, to go out and show, show the goodness that was being revealed even in their own church and the blessings that were coming from the Lord or um, the, the, the purity in the sense of all aspects of their life and to, to share those um, things with the non-believer. Yeah, but I mean, like even at the end of chapter one, where Paul says, uh, what? Uh, For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you. I mean, that means they're proclaiming it. They're heralding it uh, in Macedonia and Achaia. But your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you. And how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. And uh, I, I'm uh, just wondering what you think are the reasons this church was so passionate about sharing the gospel. And we covered some of the things that were going on in this church as we were reading. 
Yeah, I don't think the reason lies in history or, or is tied only to history and events. I think it's the Holy Spirit, and I think this is a spiritual issue. You, you, you're not, it's not natural for anyone to be on fire for the Lord unless the Lord is within them. So okay. um, for some reason, um, they proclaim God in a very effective manner because of the working of the Holy Spirit within them. And then you say, you know, why is it? Well, I, I really, I don't know why, but they seem to be able to. And, and I haven't got an answer other than that. I just wondered if there's something that we can see from this passage that... Oh, it's a different passage that I... But what? In verse 6, chapter 1, um, he's talking about them. He says, You became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. For from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. And it seems like there's a lot of facets. Okay. But... Um, you have like the word, hearing of the word, affliction, joy of the Holy Spirit, seeing the example of Paul, several different things that through them it sounded for. Yeah, I think affliction, persecution uh, has a tendency to refine. <laughs> and uh, somebody uh, said, I think it was Jerry Bridges, when he, prayer engaging the enemy, you know, so often... Uh, the troops on the front line, they're just concerned about accomplishing the purpose and surviving. And you don't hear them complaining about what's going on or anything else as far as uh, small details. It's, we have a mission, we want to accomplish it. Uh, Let's do it. They're not complaining about the food. They're just glad they're alive to eat the food. You know, uh, that's, that's the objective. But you go a couple miles back, and the people are complaining about what's being served for lunch. <coughs> they're not in the battle. So affliction, persecution uh, is a refining thing. And, and the other thing you see is, like we, we said several times, this whole thing about the end times is mentioned at the end of every chapter. Their focus was on the Lord's return, and they're thinking it's coming. They had to be warned not to be idle because, oh, the Lord's coming, so let's <laughs> uh, sit back. And so, again, just that viewpoint, and as I was thinking about that, I was trying to remember who the person was who uh, prayed, Lord, stamp eternity on my eyeballs. So that every facet of what I see is dealing with what's, uh, what lies ahead for those uh, who do not know you. And uh, the other week when we were at our life group, Joe had a, a recording of Penn and Teller. Penn was given a Bible by, uh, by uh, someone, it was a Gideon. Gideon. And, uh, and Penn's just talking about how gracious this guy was, how loving he was, and how concerned he seemed to be for who he was and his condition. And Penn says, you know, I'm an atheist. But he said, how much must you hate somebody not to tell them if you believe this? I'm going, whoa, <laughs> coming from an atheist. <laughs> That's a... 
rather uh, indicting charge. And so uh, when, I, when I saw that Jonathan Edwards was <coughs> the one who prayed that, he wanted that thought to permeate every facet of his life. And again, that's another issue that we should be praying. Any other thoughts on that? Let's, uh, let's turn to those uh, three prayers. The first one's found in chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. Somebody want to read that? Chapter 1, 2, and 3? Okay, Gary. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith, labor of love, and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, any thoughts about how <clears throat> this might affect the way we as a congregation, as a church, pray for one another? And what we're praying? You see faith, hope, and love there. What's that? Faith, hope, and love. love. There they are. There, that's the, the the trinity of love, I guess you'd call it, like First Corinthians 13. Uh, but right there is the work of faith, labor of love, steadfast is the hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. So you, you see the love that's there in Christ. And uh, whether they're working, whether they're laboring, whether they have a steadfastness, so they're not going to stop. That their steadfastness of hope is, I mean, it continues on. Their, their hope is always before them because their life is not over yet. So. Is there anything else, as you look at how Paul prays, that maybe convicts you about how you pray and what you pray for? Mm -hmm. Wes? I think it goes along with the, uh, the discernment that we talked about earlier. I think Travis mentioned, and it's, it requires, he's praying for every one of them. And you know it's different than now. I mean, it's, he knows the, those that are, that need to be encouraged and those that need to be admonished and he knows them by name and, and that's when he spends his time praying and not ceasing that. And just, I mean, it opens our eyes to get to know one another in our, you know, our body. <clears throat> yeah, it's a good challenge for us shepherding groups as we... <laughs> have got those lists. Bill. If I could offer an application, perhaps the least used document in many churches, I haven't been here long enough to say this church, may well be the member's directory. Hmm. And if you think about how that can be used in this, in this, for example, in this passage or others, do we make a habit of pulling out the member's directory and praying through that directory alphabetically, starting at the A's, going through the Z's. And because of how Paul formats his prayer, not just here, but in five other times in addition to second with us as well, we can pray very well for people we don't know at all, that we haven't yet made their acquaintances with. And you think about what that does for us. And first off, it puts those people's pictures, if we have a directory, which we do, with the people's faces, and it puts that right in front of us. So for, for newbies like, like us, we can say, okay, I don't know that person yet, but because of this, I know how to pray. Right. And then, then when I see that person in church, 
Tommy will come up and, 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 and say, hi, I'm, I'm Bill. You know, I was just praying for you. And this is what I was praying. What, what, what else should I know about you? And it's, it's a, I think it's a sweet way of, of, of starting to train your mind to think about the brethren that, that we have this unique responsibility for. Yeah, somebody uh, shared with me one time, Gary, if you don't know what to pray for people, what are you struggling with? Well, sin is common to all. <laughs> Be praying for them in that area. Yeah. And so, again, uh, if we want to see changes in our lives spiritually, well, the rest of the church hasn't arrived either. I like the idea of starting with the A's. Okay, we'll start half the church at the beginning and half the church at the end. But it doesn't matter, we're still going to be right in the middle, Barb. So. <laughs> uh, let's see, and then the other... Uh, the other passage is uh, chapter 3, 11 through 13. Somebody else want to take a shot at that one? It's so hard, Joel. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all, as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. So again, what, what strikes you there? Would you say, I know we're praying about our daily bread, and we've had teaching on that as well. In some ways, I think what we need spiritually is our daily bread. <laughs> you know, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. I just look at this and I'm just going, again, is that the way I pray for one another blameless? That we would be blameless in holiness and uh, Again, I'm, I'm just thankful that I think ever since Travis has been here, uh, you've challenged us on the whole idea of holiness, holiness, holiness. And uh, again, uh, I'm, I'm grateful for that. You also challenge us on what it means to be a shepherd and how we lead, and I'm uncomfortable with that, but <laughs> thankful for it. Any other thoughts as you look at uh, this uh, short prayer here because what's really encouraging after he prays this then he goes to preach on it and uh, you know he prayed for them then he talked about what it meant what it looked like and everything else well we're thinking it to consider it as sort of a prayer of sanctification yeah, very much is oh, sure. it seems like it goes on with uh, the changes that we would see in our believing lives uh, as we grow, and of course, not until the very end of the bit, we would establish our hearts without blame and, and holiness. No, I, don't, I think that's exactly what Paul is challenging him on, 
is there sanctification again? And, and that becomes even more clear when we go to the last prayer that's mentioned. That's uh, chapter 5. Before you go there, can okay. I mention something to just with regard to the first part, may our God, our Father himself, and our Lord Jesus Christ <clears throat> direct our way to you, which is clear he's, this is, this is obviously historic, you know, he's, there's a, he's been prevented, he wants to see them again, but it goes back to chapter two, where, you know, he talks about, um, you know, his, uh, his affection for them. Chapter 2, verse 7, we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children, so being affectionately desirous of you, ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves. You have become very dear to us. Um, they labored, toiled, working night and day, not to be a burden to any of them. They, uh, you know, as a, as a father with his children, exhorting each one, encouraging you, charging you not to, uh, to walk in a manner worthy of God. So he has a great affection for him, and he wants to see him again. And I, I think so you're asking, like, how would we do this among ourselves? I, Bill mentioned a practical, you know, practice of praying through the directory to, to see the faces and remind, uh, you know, we're, we're visual. So reminding ourselves of that person just by looking at their face and praying through their needs. Um, but to having this, this affection for each other, a desire to be together, um, not just like, eh, once a week's good. <laughs> I don't really even need to see them. You know, no, having a desire and affection for people that you want to be with them all the time. Mm -hmm. This is So if, if, if God did allow Paul to go back to Thessalonica, you'd think he'd just be there once a week? He'd be in homes, he'd be visiting, he'd, they'd be breaking bread together, enjoying affectionate company, sharing stories, learning how to pray, teaching, exhorting, training. That's his heart, and I think that's, a, that's what we need to practice together as a church. Well, and I, I think it's very evident as you read this letter, and we went through all the things that he did, <laughs> there that for him to invest that much time to know them so well uh, he knows what he taught them and, and what he gave himself, himself to for them uh, you see that he just has a, a this is one of the most tender compassionate letters I mean it's he's just he's just bearing his heart uh, and it's just, that's what I said, when you read this, it's um, so warm and tender. Uh, and you can, you can feel as you're, you're reading how I long to return to you. Uh, how, and it's probably because he was in Corinth, it would have been the reason the one returned to Thessalonica. But uh, when you see what's happening there, Lord, why can't we have it here? And I was just curious that maybe <laughs> because this church might have been um, more drastically converted out of real paganism versus having a, a kind of a religious background compared to, and so people, well, I'm familiar with it. I don't know if... I was just wondering, I said, I wonder if 
the drastic turning from idols and everything else, you know, the, the Jewish converts seem to still hang on to their religious practices, couldn't quite give them up. Uh, and I wonder sometimes if that's what's hindering us. We have our little religious practices, and so we're not willing to deal uh, drastically as uh, Spurgeon talked about when he talked about repentance, you know, he said, if I don't really understand repentance and God be as severe as you have to be with me, take a knife as a uh, surgeon and cut away anything. And I'm just going, I don't think we look at wanting to deal with sin quite drastically like that. But uh, maybe we need to be praying that for each other, that we would want God to deal drastically with that sin in our life. Okay, and then uh, the last prayer we're looking at is, uh, or did we already do it? <laughs> 5, 23, and 24. Did we do that? No, no we've not done it yet. Okay. So who would like to? Larry. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Any thoughts on that prayer? speaks to reconciliation when you say the word peace, the God of peace himself. And of course, he's bringing back up sanctification again, but you know, the ascension's already happened. The penalties for sin has been paid. We are now at peace with God if we've been called. Mm -hmm. And so this, this talks about our, our reconciliation as an accomplished fact, and our, our righteousness has been imputed now to us. So. Uh, <coughs> Whole spirit, whole soul, body be kept blameless in the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So there's, it's looking forward to the second coming, and it's reminding them, and it's encouraging them. You know, we are God's chosen people now. We are God's select people now, I guess is a better way of putting it. And we are at peace. So there's a tremendous encouragement as to your position, but there's also a tremendous, that, that's a motivation to make sure not only do you live that way, but you share that way with others as he's been doing so. Any other thoughts? Larry. So far, Paul has been encouraging the church body to do these things to help the people become sanctified. And now he's going in himself and praying right directly to the Lord. May the, he says, may the God of peace himself sanctify you. When all else fails, <laughs> the master can do it. He will surely do it. Yeah. And that's what I wanted to get to. How encouraging is this for us to pray for people when we got this promise, he who calls you is faithful, and he will surely do it. Uh, I just go, wow, that's great news. Mm. Definitely. Like, um, 25, I like that. It says, Brother, pray for us. Mm -hmm. And I think he humbled himself and said, you know, I need prayers too. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes when we're in leadership or something, sometimes we forget to ask for prayers. 
a good point. He did make some of his requests known, too, some of the things that he was going through. So they know what to pray for him. One of them is to come back and visit them, and knowing that he's been hindered. And Daniel, you had your hand up. Yeah, I was just going to say, um, just again, hitting on the, the aspect of the spirit, the soul, and the body, and that that is to be blameless. And um, just thinking about, you know, the defilement to the body that our current culture uh, and the state of, of our nation in that regard, um, the sin that's there, uh, and then also talking about the spirit and the soul um, continuing to, to purify, purify our, our hearts and our minds um, to be blameless in that regard. Yeah, so often you, uh, we've had people come here as well that uh, they try to divide their life. <laughs> you know, and I, I don't know about you, but there's, there's times I've run into people and when I see them so busily active, <laughs> doing things, trying to impress you what they're doing for God, I sometimes continue to watch them and then you find out that there's a, a sin that they really don't want to deal with. And so they're, they're using all this activity, hoping God, uh, they don't have to deal with that sin as much or they make it for an excuse. And you know, I'm, I'm thinking of a guy, Mark, that was a pastor that you knew that had all, wrote a book. We went down to listen to him how to get your church involved in unleashing your church and everything. And he was in this very uh, busy ministry and people were following him. And then you find out that he's living in sin. And, uh, and so sometimes you, uh, it, it, it grieves your heart when you see that. But I've learned to watch people at times and just go, I still don't feel good about something. There's something here that's not right. And you continue to observe or you start talking to them and then you find out they, they have their little pet sin and they think God's going to overlook it because of what I'm doing here. Now, I want to do something really different tonight. I want us to read the whole book of Thessalonians before we quit. First Thess. And... Uh, <clears throat> Like I said, there's only, I think, 89 verses. There's So maybe if we just start with Wes and we just go across the back row and come back and take, a, oh, let's take three verses each and we'll just see wh where we end up. So Wes, if you'll start us out. Okay. Paul and Silvanus and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. Give thanks to God always for all of you making mention of you in our prayers, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the presence of our God and Father. For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came not only to you in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord, 
for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. So that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned for, to God from idols to serve the living and true God. And to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our exhortation does not come in error or impurity or by way of deceit. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so, so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God, who examines our hearts. For we, for we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with the pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we couldn't have made demands as a result of the praise. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of our own children. So being affectionate desires of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you have become very good to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil, the work night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You were witnesses. And God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And we also thank God constantly for this that when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted, accepted it, and not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that, that are in Judah. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets, and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind. <clears throat> By hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved, so as always to fill up the measure of their sins. But wrath has come upon them at last. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not at heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and a great desire to see you face to face, because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. 
And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker, in the gospel of Christ to establish and exhort you in your faith that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer afflictions just as it comes to pass and just as you know. For this reason, when I come there, it no longer I said to learn about your faith, for you fear that somehow the temper and temper you and your labor would be in vain. But now that Timothy has come to you, come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and report that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we have longed to see you. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted by you through, the, through, you, through your faith. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you, for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God? As we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith, now may our God and Father himself and the Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another for all as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all the saints. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you, for you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. That each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not, who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this manner, because the Lord is an adventure in all these things as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not <clears throat> called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. And in fact, you do love all God's family throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more, and to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders, and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command and with the voice of an archangel and the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. 
Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. Let me pick it up again, Wes. For those who sleep, do their sleeping at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we are of the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. And to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. <clears throat> Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good, abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete, without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he who calls you, and he will bring it to pass. Brethren, pray for us. We are the brothers of the Holy Kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. So that only took us about 12 minutes to read the whole thing, but I hope you can see why Paul was encouraged as he wrote to the Thessalonians. And uh, again, I just think it's a, just an encouraging book. There's just so many challenges, and it just challenged me again just on the whole area of prayer and how we pray for one another. So, Bill, thank you for your... Uh, Encouragement on just doing that. Uh, you weren't here Sunday when we were doing our business meeting, but we've divided the church up into shepherding groups. And uh, maybe that list <laughs> that the shepherds have should go to everybody in the church, that they would know which group they're in so that they would be praying for the people that are in their group as well. And it's not just the shepherds praying uh, for them. So maybe that's something else we can do is print that list out for the people that are in our group and make sure that they get a copy of it. Maybe we can even put some passages of scripture that might help them. Uh, 
these might be things you want to keep praying for one another uh, so that we become what Christ wants us to be. Is there any other questions or thoughts? Just a thought. I, I just, um, praying for each other, I, I really appreciate the Sunday evenings where we get together as a church and we hear the word taught, you know, especially, you know, the, the Lord's Prayer. Um, but then we pray together as a church. That's just... And hopefully more and more for the church and accomplishing what God wants us to be as a church. Uh, I just think that uh, somebody said uh, in most churches, unless you're selling a house or you're sick, you don't get prayed for. You know, and, uh, Bill. I'm just going to say on Joe there just a little bit. The, the Sunday night thing, it's really where you see the heart and soul of the church. Not so much Sunday. I mean, we're going to sit under the teaching, the discipleship, the counseling of the Word, the Word, and we're going to have some conversations with each other. You know, we may have some in Sunday school class, but that Sunday night thing, that's where the heart and the soul of the church is, is, is really evident to us. So, I mean, if we want to practice our evangelizing, I'd really encourage us to evangelize the other 196 people that aren't here tonight <laughs> to come to Sunday night. Because it really is how they're going to be connected. And that's going to, that's going to promote the endurance in the membership, to be able to endure to love one another and, 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 and the likes of that. Which is one of the key aspects of being a member of a church. A healthy member is, as you said, Travis, really wanting to spend time together. And uh, again, so thank you again just for that challenge. Was there another hand I saw up? Okay, well, let me close in prayer. Uh, Father God, thank you again uh, just for uh, the truth of your word. I, I just continue to pray that we as a body of believers would take to heart some of these things that uh, we were looking at tonight from the church in Thessalonia. Thessalonica, and Father, ask that you would uh, work them in our lives, just knowing that if that happened in that church and those people and your spirit was able to produce that kind of character, Father, we can have confidence that your desire is still to do that through those who are willing to submit and uh, lay their lives before you. Father, we pray that we would be those people. And we pray that you would be exalted and glorified in and through our lives and in and through this church now. And we just ask it in Christ's name, who is the head of the church. Amen. Amen.